Welcome to Alex Wong, the director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Oh, we've got no sound there. And Mark Tu, who is managing director of asset management at Wing Fung Financial Group. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. And let's go back and wish Alex a very good morning. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you now, Alex, and it's great to hear your voice and see your faces in our Admiralty studios. Look at those smiles. Thank you both for joining us today to discuss the headlines. Let's start off with the results of a survey yesterday that showed that substantial pay increases by Japanese companies will continue in 2024. Could this lead to a rollback in monetary stimulus, Mark? Uh, well, I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. Uh, as much as uh, the new BOJ chief uh, may uh, tend to have more reform, I think uh, basically it is uh, just a piecemeal reform. And uh, they are not going to withdraw uh, all the monetary stimulus uh, at, at one time. Uh, they have to take it gradually. So uh, while, while there may be fiscal stimulus packages, a monetary policy may still be there. But of course, uh, the effect is uh, minimal. Uh, basically, according to the last uh, 40 years, you may say lost for decades. Um, basically, it is, a, uh, it is a trap. It is a liquidity trap. Uh, more money supply doesn't mean that they can uh, pump up the economy. But, but still, uh, they are going to uh, be better and better. You, you, you can see that months of data that exceed uh, the 2% medium to long-term gro- uh, uh, in a target rate, I, I think it is, uh, it is very good. Uh, it takes time, but... Okay, Alex. I think uh, this is a risk uh, because um, Japan economy probably would be uh, still uh, in good shape. And so uh, the, the key would be the wage inflation, I think, in Japan. I think for, for product rise, I think uh, the inflation pressure probably may, may ease already. So we need to see how that kind of a wage increase translate to the uh, general inflation. I think that is the key variable. But I think uh, 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 comparing to other parts of the world, probably Japanese uh, would have uh, more room for wage growth. So uh, that is the key risk. Uh, so we need to see. But I think the BOJ public would be very prudent uh, because uh, Japan actually has uh, lost uh, three to four decades. And this is uh, the first time uh, foreign investors are very seriously uh, entering into Japan again. So I think that they would like to keep uh, the environment more favorable for investors. And there's some pretty hefty pay increases, aren't there, Alex? I think Big Camera are proposing a 16% increase. Oh, yeah. But uh, you can argue that uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, Japanese yen actually has been done so much. So if your companies earn money overseas, then you can pay your local uh, uh, employees a little bit better. And then the the wage actually has been depressed for so long. So I think uh, there's a there's a room for for a more severe wage increase. Okay, that makes sense. Didn't think of that. <laughs> Completely makes sense now. Uh, the expected launch of Bitcoin's ETFs on Wall Street could open crypto investing to institutional and retail investors, prompting predictions that financial advisors may allocate part of their large portfolios to crypto assets. Are you bullish or bearish on Bitcoin and crypto in general, Alex? Oh, I can not be <laughs> that brave to be bearish for crypto right now because of the trend and the momentum actually is there and you cannot pick the top uh, for for this currency because you don't know how to value it. Uh, so I think uh, probably the trend will still be bullish at least in the short term until the launch of the ETF because um, 
many many institutions in rest actually has a very low exposure in 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 crypto so uh, they could have a legit uh, channel to allocate part of their portfolio and and if they allocate 2 to 3% just 2 to 3% of their portfolio that could be have uh, a huge impact on the crypto asset price so i think uh, at least in the short term uh, you cannot be bearish yeah, and I know Standard Chartered have given it a good uh, go at predicting the price for next year. And they reckon Bitcoin's going to go up to $150,000 per Bitcoin. Don't know how they work that out. What are your thoughts, Mark? Uh, the actual number uh, may differ from the predictions, but I uh, tend to agree with uh, Alex. And I think um, basically if the uh, risk and return profiles of these uh, so-called alternative investments uh, may somehow diversify uh, diversify the, the risk uh, for your whole portfolio. Why not? And uh, the whole trend, I, I agree that the, the, the momentum is here and even a small increase in exposure may, may, may do a huge impact. Okay. Now, there were no changes to loan prime rates for the mainland yesterday, indicating rate cuts may be done for now as policymakers turn to other means to support the economy. What do you think these other means will be, Mark? Well, um, there may not be exactly other means because it is a whole package. You know, uh, in mainland Chinese authorities' uh, mindset, uh, you you can use whatever policy as long as it is uh, adaptable uh, to their uh, actual needs. Uh, right now, you may say that uh, it, it may not... Uh, tend to cut rates, but basically it's because uh, the huge uh, interest rate differential may cause uh, the the uh, capital outflow and it is not quite favorable to the whole uh, dynamics. Uh, so even in within the monetary context, you still have a triple R and other liquidity uh, uh, mechanisms. I think it is still viable. But of course, the most important thing is not fiscal, is not uh, a monetary. I think it is about the confidence. It is about the signals uh, sent out by the uh, policymakers, whether they are uh, consistent in making the whole thing uh, a change and the change is going to be uh, sustainable. I, I think gra- gradually the policymakers, the leaders, uh, uh, based on what they uh, recently uh, have, have said and done, I think it is uh, basically in, in, in that direction. Okay. Alex, what do you have to build on that? I think uh, the, the key thing is really confidence because right now the visibility in doing business in China is... Um, it's, it's, it's too short, I think. Uh, so that's why people are not willing to put a serious long-term investment. So I think uh, what they need to do is to lay out some um, framework to let uh, investors feel more comfortable to invest in the long term. Are you confident in the Chinese economy for next year? Uh, no, actually, because I think, uh, first of all, the uh, housing market probably will still be bad uh, for, for for years. So that's the first problem. And second, I think uh, um, people really need to restore the confidence. But right now, I don't think uh, we have seen a concrete policy that uh, restore the confidence. Okay, let's move on to traders who are currently pricing in about a 30% chance of the first Fed rate cut in March following cool inflation data last week. Do you have any predictions on where this is going to go, Alex? Well, I think uh, March is a very... um early maybe a little bit too early because right now uh inflation is easing but uh, the whole u.s economy is still quite resilient and for fed officials i think they need to uh 
And they made, made, made a lot of evidence to turn the uh, monetary policies uh, in another direction. So I think uh, March probably will be too early. And the economy over there is not so bad that we need a way cut so quick. So I think uh, very likely we will not have a, that kind of way cut uh, so early. I think probably uh, I, I will stay. I, I would say the the rate probably will stay higher for longer, but uh, um, uh, probably towards the end of next year. Are you aligned with that, Mark? Yeah, higher for long, uh, higher for longer is uh, is the theme, and uh, you know there are divergent views on uh, whether there will be a recession or whether there will be uh, rate cut rate cut uh, in twenty twenty four. And basically, it, it is based on a lot of uh, scenarios that, that people may not agree or agree on. Uh, but I tend to think that uh, it is quite likely that the Fed uh, may have to buy time to let the uh, inflation do its own work, uh, to ease uh, on its own path without extra intervention uh, in the monetary policy. That, that is the whole thing about the sufficient restrictiveness that they have been talking about for, for quite a long time. I'm noticing that investors seem to be looking more at the positive than the negative at the moment. Would you agree with that, Mark? Um, I, it, it is very hard to to um, to have that kind of uh, prediction uh, at this moment because um, you know uh, for the past uh, two or three years, actually after the uh, global pandemic, uh, the inflationary expectations surge, and uh, basically we can trace it back to the whole uh, QE's era and all the uh, you know the uh, ultra. Uh, ultra uh, uh, low interest rate environments, and it is very complicated. The whole dynamics. It is not easy for the policymakers to do it. Uh, just like uh, as if it is just a cyclical uh, movement. It is very uh, difficult. I think. Yesterday was not a good day for Europe with various negative data. Do you see any opportunities in Europe? Maybe a certain country or sector, Mark. Yeah, in terms of the global macro uh, d- uh, investing, uh, it is uh, very important for you to look uh, look for uh, a more reasonable return uh, in a, a longer, medium to longer uh, time horizon. And it is uh, very important to have diversification in terms of the uh, geography, in terms of the uh, the sectors, all these things. Uh, as much as uh, the the European economy is uh, quite stagnant at, at this moment, I. I I think basically uh, the, the market can adjust and the valuations are pretty much priced in. So uh, I think it is still worthwhile to, to try, try your luck. Uh, of course, it is about the proportion, about the, the, the best size, of course. So you think things might turn around and prove Brexit was a good move? Uh, it is not exactly about a, a particular event-driven uh, uh, trade or about uh, a, a certain kind of a market timing, but about the, the long-term belief. Uh, you, you may say I, I'm I'm a dreamer, uh, I'm an optimist in in the stock markets, uh, but I think uh, in the long run, uh, at least according to last hundred years uh, data, you can see that uh, overall speaking, the the stock indexes uh, they produce uh, quite uh, attractive returns compared to the other other means of uh, investment. Like the Beatles song, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> Alex. I think for Europe, probably, um, the, a, 
对，诶诶 ，weaker data point means a higher chance for rate cut. I think for for、uh, if you if you are going for rate cut, probably that would happen first in Europe because、um, the economy actually is not that resilient as compared to the US. So、uh, they have room for cuts, and probably they would be the first one in the world、uh, to cut rates、uh, next year. So I think、uh, people probably will speculate on that. So macro related、uh, counters probably would be okay、uh, if you are、um, going for that scenario. And but、uh, the problem is, I think.、Uh, They they are more they are quite reliant on the auto、um, sector, and that is、uh, being challenged by the Chinese. So I think、uh, that is、uh, a key risk、uh, in investing in Europe. That、um, because of the manufacturers、uh, in the auto sector, they probably may have、uh, some challenges. Probably the safest one would be Ferrari. That that is、uh, not replaceable. Okay, well, thank you to Alex Wong, the director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Mark Tu, who is managing director of asset management of Wing Fang Financial Group. Thank you for your time today, gentlemen, and the great conversation. Still to come in your money, Caroline Wright, our Sammy Abuza, head of investments and wealth solutions in wealth and personal banking for Hong Kong at HSBC, about the evolving financial goals people in Hong Kong have. Plus, we'll get a view from Japan with Nick Smith, Japan's strategist of CLSA. Let's、uh, have a look at how the markets are looking so far today. The ASX 200 at 6,170 is up 0.4 percent. Hang Seng hasn't quite opened yet, so they're running around with their feather dusters, getting everything spick and span to open. And their futures is seventy thousand nine hundred and forty-three. That's seventeen thousand nine hundred and forty-three, and that's up one percent. The Kospi at two thousand four hundred and ninety-one is up over three quarters of a percent, and the Nikkei two two five is thirty-three thousand three hundred and eighty-eight flat. It's currently 21 degrees centigrade at the observatory and 74% relative humidity. Here's your news with Haley Yip. A secondary school principal says the poor results in the latest territory-wide exams is a reflection of the lack of face-to-face -face teaching time during the COVID pandemic. Dion Chen, chairman of the Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council, says the TSA results, which measure Chinese, English, and maths at the primary three, six, and secondary three levels, are similar to the downward trend seen in international scores. He told RTHK that he believes students would be able to catch up, but he cautioned. Against pushing them too hard, given the mental health issues that came out of the pandemic, because of the results and also because of the pandemic, a lot of students or even their parents they also would like to catch up, so they probably would give themselves some stress or pressure. So this is something that we need to look into it. I believe that quite a lot of schools they have been doing various measures to help students to release stress, or I have heard some schools they have already like adjusting the timetable to make sure students they have more time to enjoy the life in school, especially in the primary school. Police investigating an online shop over the suspected sale of dog meat say the vendor has duped customers out of almost 1.4 million dollars. The alleged scammers are believed to have lured people into downloading a malicious shopping app and tricking them into providing their bank information. Lester Ip, an acting superintendent of the Cybersecurity and Technology Crime Bureau, said similar tactics had been reported since September and no one had been arrested in the case so far.
The alleged scammers had transformed from using low prices to attract customers to shop and install the app into selling suspected dog meat as a gimmick in an attempt to create some noise in society and attract animal lovers to approach the sellers, install the app in order to identify the sellers. The United Nations says emissions of greenhouse gases must fall by 42 percent by 2030 to reach the goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. In a report released ahead of the climate summit in Dubai, the UN Environment Program, or UNEP, says current pledges put the world on track for rises of between 2.5 and 2.9 degrees Celsius. The head of the UNEP, Inger Anderson, warned the fight against climate change was at risk. The coal, oil and gas extracted over the lifetime of producing and planned mines and fields would wipe out almost the whole remaining carbon budget for the two degree scenario and obliterate the 1.5 degree scenario budget. Governments can't keep pledging to cut emissions under the Paris Agreement and then greenlighting huge fossil fuel projects. This is throwing the global energy transition and humanity's future into question. The United States says fuel has reached Gaza following Israel's announcement on Sunday that it would allow supplies to support non-governmental organizations. The White House National Security spokesman John Kirby told reporters six fuel trucks have crossed into Gaza. Following uh, Israel's announcement that it's allowing fuel now into Gaza to support non-governmental organizations at our strong request, uh, we are now tracking that six trucks have crossed into Gaza uh, with approximately 18,000 gallons of fuel. That will help support food distribution uh, and it will help generators for, uh, for the hospital so that they can keep uh, working. Earlier, the World Health Organization said 28 premature Palestinian babies evacuated from the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza on Sunday are now being treated in Egyptian hospitals. At least 500 employees of the pioneering artificial intelligence company OpenAI have threatened to quit over the sacking of the CEO Sam Altman. In a letter, they protested against the way he and his fellow co-founder Greg Brockman were dismissed. The BBC's Zoe Kleiman reports. One of the board members who made the decision to fire Sam Altman has now said he regrets it and is among the staff who've signed a letter calling for him to come back. Mr Altman's been given a new job by Microsoft, the firm that's invested billions in OpenAI and its tech, the popular chatbot ChatGPT. Perhaps they want to keep him close. Artificial intelligence is a powerful technology and there are relatively few people with their hands directly on the wheel. Sam Altman is one of them. The government in Ukraine has fired the head and deputy head of the state special communications service, the department responsible for cyber defense. Yuri Shaikal and Viktor Zora were sacked following an investigation into corruption. Anti-corruption officials said more than 1.7 million U.S. dollars had been misappropriated during Mr. Shaikal's time at the department. The European Union, which Ukraine aims to join, has made combating corruption a prerequisite before negotiations can begin. And that's the news from RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Welcome back to Money Talk Part 2. I'm Stephen Philby. 
The first thing I need to do is let you know that the iPhone is giving out completely incorrect information this morning. For example, it had that the ASX is 6,160, but I can confirm in reality it's 7,074, up 0.2%. Let's see how long it takes Apple to fix it. But in the meantime, be very cautious about using any figures on your iPhone. In a few minutes, Carolyn Wright will be joined by Sammy Abuza, Head of Investments and Wealth Solutions in Wealth and Personal Banking for Hong Kong at HSBC to discuss the evolving financial goals people in Hong Kong have. And to close the show, Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA, will bring us a view from Japan. But first, here are the headlines. Sacked OpenAI boss Sam Altman is to join Microsoft. Plus, OpenAI staff demand the board resign over his sacking. Japanese companies are to continue with substantial pay increases into 2024, which could lead to a monetary stimulus rollback. Citigroup employees brace themselves for layoffs and a major management overhaul. The CEO resigns from GM's self-car drive unit called Cruise amid a safety review. This review has led to the pausing of all testing in the US, but Cruise continues with testing in Dubai and Japan. As you just heard, at least 500 employees of the pioneering artificial intelligence company, OpenAI, have threatened to quit over the sacking of the CEO, Sam Altman. In a letter they've posted against the way he and his fellow founder, co-founder, Greg Brockman, were dismissed. So where did it all go wrong? Here's the BBC's James Clayton. So you have Greg Brockman, co-founder, Sam Altman, and then you have this key person, Ilya Sutskiva. He's this AI wonder kid. He went to open AI. He's the chief scientist. He's incredibly influential. He appears to be one of the main instigators of this coup. He has now tweeted that he regrets the actions that he has taken and he regrets the board's action and wants Sam Altman back. The problem is Microsoft have already said that Sam Altman can come work with Microsoft. Sam Altman's agreed, as can Greg Brockman, as can anyone else, it appears, that wants to work for Microsoft from OpenAI. So you have this sort of warring faction within OpenAI, and you have this very, very, very wealthy company saying, you're welcome to come over this way. And so OpenAI now is in real chaos. OpenAI can absolutely survive. I think the real issue though is, if they were to lose hundreds of highly skilled people, it's very, very hard to replace those people, particularly those engineers, those AI experts. There aren't that many of them, and they are incredibly highly sought after in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Meanwhile, the CEO of X, formerly known as Twitter, says the company has been clear in its efforts to fight racism and anti-Semitism. The note from Linda Yaccarino came after several big brands paused their advertising following an anti-Semitic tweet amplified by owner Elon Musk. Mr. Musk has denied that his post was anti-Semitic. So what does this mean for shareholders in Musk's other big companies? Kristen Hull is the CEO of Naya Impact Capital, which holds shares in Tesla. This is such a problematic situation because we have a CEO who has a track record of innovation and thinking outside the box. And yet his behavior has been erratic, um, it's unpredictable, and his human capital management within his firms is at question right now. And so as an investor, 
were quite concerned about both risk to the brand reputation as well as to the ability for future recruiting and for hiring um, and promotion within his firms. So Elon Musk has lots of different businesses, doesn't he? And this debate at the moment is going on with his social media platform. You believe that has an impact on Tesla, the business that you have invested in? Oh, absolutely. Across all of his, um, it, it, this will have an impact across all of his businesses. And however, yes, we are most directly concerned with Tesla because we own shares. It's actually a very small amount um, because we have removed Tesla from our core portfolios based on the allegations of racial discrimination and other issues with human capital management in both of his plants in California and New York. Uh, that was the um, Christine Hull. Um, sorry, it was, what's the correct name, Karen? But speaking with Sam Fennick of the BBC. The Hong Kong Investment Funds Association is appealing for caution, saying many Hong Kong people may be turning to high-return, high-risk investment products to meet their retirement needs. A survey by the association found that people here believe they have to save an average of over $7.6 million to maintain their standards of living after retirement. It also found that while in general they hope to retire at 61, that amount of savings would only last 17 years, leaving a seven-year gap considering the city's average life expectancy of 85. The co-chair of the association's pension subcommittee, Philip So, told Chloe Feng that people should manage their expectations and not blindly chase short-term gains. This is probably a very stretched like, expectation, uh, especially under the current investment environment. The volatility is very uh, important as a considering factor. And, uh, you know, with like 12% kind of return, you need to take an enormous amount of risk over time uh, to achieve that return. That's number one. Number two is that what kind of time horizon are you talking about? Is it one year, two years or like 10 years? I mean, even though a period like a 10 years or 15 years is could be still quite a stretching target. Even professional investors, uh, they would not have that kind of target as the objective, right? So I think the, that's why we believe that education is important to really get them to think about you know, what would be the reasonable, realistic, achievable target is the, is the ultimate goal. And what else can authorities do to also enhance such efforts as well? Like, for example, you are calling for more different kind of products to be made available among those MPF schemes, for example. I would think that, um, uh, first of all, the MPF is supposed to be a, like a stable, gradual growth um, kind of investment uh platform. And uh, what we want to see more in the future is to have more diversity within a particular product. For example, I mean, within, say, equity or within fixed income or within a multi-asset, mixed asset funds, you know, other than the equity fixed income, can we do more than that? Can we have a little bit of the alternatives? Can we have a little bit of the high yield? Can we have a little bit of the sustainability? Like all these kind of like new ideas in a portfolio could potentially help the portfolio have multiple return drivers uh, uh, to gen- generate return over time on a stable sort of fashion. So I think that would be something that we hope to see more. Now, can we? Can someone in the industry can come up with like a 12% return like product every single year? I think even though someone tell you that, like you could be really challenging whether that is really sustainable in the future. Uh, that would be my take. Why do you think people are more like uh, prone to those ESG or sustainable development or uh, infrastructure bonds mm-hmm. now? 
I, I think I think the trend, the world talk a lot about the the ESG. I think they also mentioned a lot about how the ESG angle can help the world in the future and potentially also help the stock market or the fixed income market or the investment vehicle. So I think those sort of media coverage really help people to understand like doing ESG not just only for the good of the entire sort of planet, but also on the investment side, there's some positive like outcomes that can be generated from this sort of investment vehicle. So that's why I think people are having a lot more attitude. If you look at the survey, it's more sort of the younger group of generation having more appetite on that. The, the sort of mature investors, they probably still think of the old traditional way, right? So I think we can see that like this kind of new and like sort of mature generation might have a different appetite these days or in the future. So I think the in terms of a system like this, they need to be more dynamic to cater the investment needs uh, from the individuals. And uh, lastly, what would be your key suggestions for investors who are planning for their retirement? What would be the key message that need to be that in mind? Um, focus and uh, focus in the long term I think is the important uh, don't make drastic changes all the time uh, make sensible changes uh, things twice before they make a change uh, would be my advice In Your Money Today Carolyn Wright finds out about the evolving financial goals people have Good morning Carolyn Good morning HSBC Premier recently released its annual affluence survey, looking at the evolving financial goals of investors here in Hong Kong. I'm joined now by Sami Abuzar, who is Head of Investments and Wealth Solutions in Wealth and Personal Banking for Hong Kong at HSBC to discuss some of the findings. Thanks for joining me today, Sami. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So let's kick off with a, a key question. Why is reaching the first local currency million seen as such a milestone for so many people here? So as you say, we, we conducted this survey among over a thousand affluent Hong Kongers. So they were aged between 24 and 64. And as you say, we wanted to understand their, their financial needs and their aspirations. And yes, becoming a local currency millionaire is considered a major achievement, especially in a place where saving is such an important tradition. Um, and we found on average, these respondents felt that they were going to hit or had hit their milestone at age 33. And then they move on to the next big one, which is which is reaching the 10 million mark. Okay, so let's talk about how you can achieve that first goal, the core principles people should be applying to achieve their their first currency million and, and where they go next. So for the first one, the focus was really on saving from their salary. So 61% of respondents said that was how they got to their first million. And it was the number one source of, of wealth. But when they looked beyond that to the 10 million mark, that shifted to include returns on investment and property and those two things playing a bigger role in their in their wealth creation. So obviously there isn't a universal formula for success, but we always advocate some key principles, starting early, regular saving, disciplined investing, and of course, diversifying. Those are really crucial. And as we all know, but often don't practice, the earlier you start, the more you can benefit from that power of compounding to achieve your goals. Now, aside from that losing out because you've started too late, what are the stumbling blocks investors can face with planning towards a comfortable retirement? So the major concerns we heard from our survey respondents were really around the external economic environment and also making the wrong investment decisions. So those were the two things that concerned them the most. But then there were a number of other potential obstacles. They were worried about unexpected expenses coming through, medical costs or family needs, 
Um, and, and those who are earlier in their wealth journey today felt that actually a slowing career development or salary growth could be an obstacle for them as well. Um, I think also these, are, these surveys are a point in time. So as you'd expect from the last 18 months, many were also worried about their reserves being eroded or the value of their reserves being eroded by, by inflation and not ending up with enough to support their retirement lifestyle. So I think, again, this is really about having a disciplined approach to saving and investing through what are likely to be different economic cycles over the, over the course of, um, of people's lives. Now, how important is real estate investing as part of a portfolio for, for people here? And why do people say that is? So we, we asked a question about how they would divide their investments if they had one million Hong Kong dollars in, in liquid assets. So that question didn't cover real estate, but it was interesting to see how they would divide their assets. So cash and equities were really number one there, 40% and 25% respectively in the portfolio, followed by foreign exchange, funds and bonds, all taking up around 10%. But then to your question, when we look at property itself, what we do see from the survey is that its role in wealth creation is losing a bit of its luster, even though three quarters of the respondents owned at least one property. And 53% still felt property was a really important tool for wealth preservation. But that's actually down 23 percentage points from 2022. And I think that that's probably for a couple of reasons. One is that many felt there were lower risk wealth management products that could help them build their wealth. And then when we asked them about their outlook for property prices, they were a bit more conservative than they may have been in the past. So around 57% were expecting a drop in property prices over the coming 12 months. So I think the picture has shifted. Property is still obviously very important in this market, but other investment solutions taking up a bigger role as well. Aside from these concerns you just mentioned, what other key economic concerns did the people involved in the research say they have? So we did find that there was quite a cautious outlook on the economy from our respondents. Around 38% expected the economy to get worse and about a similar proportion expecting no change. Um, and obviously people are focused very much on rates. So 63% of our respondents expected a rate hike even though they didn't, most of those, around 77%, so most of that group didn't feel that it would be more than 2%. Um, so I think this is still an environment where there's, where there's caution around what's happening, um, both with interest rates, with inflation and the broader economy. And when we asked them, what would you do next now? Um, there's still very much a strong desire to benefit from high deposit rates. So time deposits are still very much um, a popular um, a popular investment or a popular thing to do with their with their cash. But many also saying that they're going to diversify their investments and their risk and also be a little bit more cautious around their spending. So I think really reflecting the somewhat uncertain economic environment. So one last question. What would your top tips be for someone who is just starting out in their, their wealth journey? What, what would you suggest to them? You know, they're, they're quite young, but they, they're not really sure how they should get on the, their foot on the ladder. Well, if they're starting and thinking about it and ideally young, then they're already doing the most, the most important thing. So I think being conscious about their financial future, starting to think about what that implies, starting to plan as soon as they can start saving, if they do that and they put some of those savings aside 
in a diversified portfolio, and they keep topping into that portfolio regularly over time, then they're in great shape. Um, and I think that's really the, the really the key: being conscious, starting early, planning, saving, diversifying your investments, um, and uh, and and then they'll be on their path to their first million and beyond. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me and explaining a little bit about your annual affluence survey. That's Sami Abuzar, who's Head of Investments and Wealth Solutions in Wealth and Personal Banking for Hong Kong at HSBC. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Welcome to Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA, for a view from Japan. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for joining us today. Let's start with foreign inflows to Japanese stocks, because they're surging amid fears of the Fed easing rate hikes. Will this continue, Nick? Um, we've had what sort of... Um four and a quarter trillion yen, so about $32 billion coming into uh, Japan so far this year. In historical terms, it's um, it, it's not especially large. Um, I, I think the the view is that uh, this is a country that's been uh, doing much better than um, than expected during the year, that we've had um, good profits. If, if you look at, say, um, operating profits, um, Globally, uh, they're up about three percent for the year, and uh, um, in um, the quarter in Japan, they're up um, about a quarter. Uh, and so, the the recovery is looking much better in Japan. It, it seems to be an oasis of of growth in a, a generally fairly dismal world. So, um, I think it's not surprising that money's coming back into Japan. I think people are uh, have found themselves uh, uh, short and caught this year. Yeah, and I guess the exchange rate's also favourable for foreign investors putting money into Japan. Talking of this, the yen continues to hover around the 150 to the dollar mark. Is any movement expected here? Um, yeah, I look on my screen this morning and see it in the um, around 148, which is a, uh, quite a surprise. Yeah. Um, so the the feeling. U.S. rates have come off much faster than uh, than most people had expected. Uh, the expectation was that they would stay high. Uh, Japan would be um, stubbornly um, low on its rates. Uh, BOJ will keep them low, um, and that the uh, the yen would uh, would weaken for a while. And that's just suddenly not happened. Um, a collapse in in U.S. rates has dragged down uh, Japanese rates, um, and the whole story for the um, for the yen seems to be uh, seems to be falling apart. Um, so I, I think um, for a while we'll be um, around this kind of level, but I think the, the um, U.S. rates coming off, uh, and ultimately Japan will need to let its um, rates go up a little bit, uh, and that suggests that we'll have uh, somewhat stronger yen. Um, uh, strong enough to to hurt the people who who say 
Japanese share prices go up uh, and um, what you gain on the share price, you lose on the uh, the currency. Yeah, offsets. Um, I think we're moving to a um, to the world as it was before the Bank of Japan started messing with uh, um, with, with rates, where um, when the world was doing well, Japanese economy was doing well, and we tended to have a, uh, a stronger currency. Um, and in that world, um, when profits were strong, the yen was strong, whereas um, we've been suffering from a world in which when, um, when stocks have been doing well, you've lost it on the currency. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on to inflation, because data is due from Japan later this week. What are your expectations for that, Nick? Oh um yeah I mean the the, uh, the Bank of Japan has continued to insist that uh, that uh, inflation is only imported and that um uh, that it'll soon drop below their targeted rate of 2%. They've been um consistently wrong for a very very long time. Um, I think the evidence is that it's much more domestically generated than um, than they've wanted to accept that it's um their own measure of domestically driven inflation um Ex-fresh food and energy, the core core number, um, has been up at sort of 4, 4.2, 4.3%. It's been absolutely waterboarding the uh, the Japanese consumer. Um, I think the chances are uh, it might be very, very slightly weaker, but uh, I'd have thought that core core number will come in at about um, uh, 4.1, maybe 4.2%. Uh, waterboarding, so, um, go on. Well, I mean, obviously, um, it is utterly um, irresponsible of the Bank of Japan to to go out and print money to, to drive up prices without any plan whatsoever for uh, for getting wages up. Uh, and now they have the temerity to turn around and say, well, we might keep um, monetary policy loose until wages go up, as if to say, well, um, the whippings will continue until uh, um, until morale improves. It's just not the way that things move, and it's it's um, resulting in a cost of living crisis that's uh, resulting in in um, support for the uh, the government absolutely crumbling at the moment. Wow. And I love your statement there, waterboarding the consumer. That sounds very strong. Anyway, how do huge wage costs run into inflation? Because there's been some pretty big ones this year, and apparently they're going to continue into 2024 with one firm, who's already announced it, Big Camera, who's got thousands of employees, saying it will be 16%. Sure, of course. I mean, um, you can print money, but you can't print people. And, and Japan has a, uh, a shrinking population that's uh, that's accelerating downwards. So shrinking working age population, about a half a percent a year at the moment, accelerating to about three quarters of a percent a year by the end of the decade. Um, the primary cause of, uh, of bankruptcies at the moment seems to be um, uh, lack of uh, lack of employees. Mm. Um, so it's becoming a, a real issue. And that's really what drives wages. It's, it's nothing to do with printing money. It's to do with, uh, um, you know, you rise wa- raise wages when you, you see people going out the door and, um, and you can't replace them. Uh, and that's the situation for most companies at the moment. So I would have thought we'll get... Um, a higher uh, wage increase. The uh, Japan umbrella um, union uh, Ringo has uh, has asked for over five percent. One of the bigger um, components has asked uh, for six. Um, I, I think we'll be pleasantly surprised on uh, on wages. Yeah, and I guess there's no end to the talent shortage in sight with the aging population in Japan. 
Let's move on, though, um, and we've not got a lot of time for this, about 20 seconds. How much of a concern is a potential recession in Japan, in your opinion, Nick? I think the bigger problem is a a recession in the rest of the world. Um, So obviously I keep um, very close watch. Japan is a a geared play on global trade. It's reopening as as cushioned that this year. Uh, But if if the US falls out of bed, we're going to have some um, some troubles. I think we'll probably squeak past that one. Well, thank you for that was exactly, I think, 20 seconds. So thank you to Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA for a very insightful view from Japan. Here's the markets. And just to say, the Apple phone is still not fixed because it's showing the, uh, well, the ASX 200, it's showing a lot different to it actually is. Um, and the Nikkei, actually. Um, th- but the Nikkei is 33,353, down 0.2%. The Cosby is 2,504, up half a percent. The ASX is 7,068, up 0.15%. The Hang Seng Futures is 70,943. Stay with us for back chat. And until tomorrow, this is Stephen Philby, the Money Talk team, wishing you a great day.